We are the Marcelin Brothers, and this is the Marcelin Brothers Podcast, MBP for short. We are here to share our story and to contribute our thoughts about everyday topics in life. Time to sit back, relax, and get ready for the MVP attack. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Today is November 12, 2019. You are listening or watching. You are listening or watching to the Marcelin Brothers podcast. MVP crew, you are in for a guest treat. My man, Marvelous Marvin, is done with his two-month rotation that he was out of the state. And he is back. Looking good as he always does with his bow tie on. Nice, clean cut. It's a little cold, so he's got the, the sweater vest on. And he's got, got the cool headphones on. So, Marvin, how has it been? How are you doing? What is going on, my brother? What's up? It's great to be back. Oh, my goodness. It is great to be back. And it's been a minute since I've been here on the podcast, so I've I've got some training wheels that I need to dust off, if you will, and um, you know, let's let's attack this, the MVP attack, and let's get it. Let's get it. Well, tell us a little bit. I mean, MVP has been missing you for two months. We haven't heard your voice, so you got to give the fans a little bit of what's been going on in the last two months. What have you been up to? Where were you? How's it going? You look nice and refreshed, and you look like you're ready for doing some podcast. Tell us what has been going on these last two months. Well, these last two months, I've been down in Baltimore. Specifically, I went to a, a rotation at one of the hospitals there, Sinai Hospital, and I got to see a lot. I got to do a lot, but you know, in the end, it's just great to be back home, back with loved ones back with your home institution and you know I'm, I'm ready to hit the ground running for that final you know final couple of months you know this is my last year Man. and once once the spring of 2020 comes by i'm i'm calling it i'm done i'm finishing i'm moving on i'm gonna transition to becoming an attending so it's it's coming and it's coming fast have you looked at the calendar lately? It is November 12th. You are almost halfway done with your senior year. You have, gosh, I mean, your rotation is, is are they going to have you end on June 30th? Or what is the end date in mind? Is it time for us to do the countdown? Is the countdown here? I, yeah, the countdown is, it's quickly <laughs> approaching. Uh, yeah, uh, June 30th. It's like the last official day wow. on paper. July 1, I'm kicked out. <laughs> and the wow. next group comes through. So. Man. So one bit of advice. I know you're very excited to start the next portion of your career. But try to enjoy a little bit of it, too, by spending some time with... Like, I know you don't have a large, huge residency class and everything like that, but... These are going to be the last few months that you have because once, like you said, once you're in attending status, 
it's a little different. I mean, don't get me wrong. You've got lots of responsibilities and lots of things that you're doing. And don't get me wrong. Attending status is much better than resident life. But there are some little things that you can enjoy as a resident that you should still try to do before you end up finishing up. So take it from somebody who's, gosh, I finished residency in 2010, so nine years ago. So from an old fogey like me, try to soak in those last couple of months if you can. Mm. Will do. Will do, will do, will do. That's cool, man. So you've got, you finished that up. Anything big, anything else you want to share with the MVP crew before I give you some updates from my life? I mean, you know, I'm I'm loving life as always, and I still take it one day at a time. So I'm ready for what the next challenge will be coming my way. All right. Very cool. Very cool. So again, the crew is happy to see you, and we're looking forward to another great podcast. For me, something that are going on, so I am actually now in another podcast. So we are going to podcast number two. My MVP crew, I would love if you can help support me on the second podcast that I'm doing. So I'm doing another podcast with Rod. The name of the podcast is Raymond and Sons. So if you have a chance, the you can look us up over on podcast.com. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts, Raymond and Sons. That's the name of the podcast, R-A-Y-M-O-N-D and S-O-N-S. The theme for that podcast, it's more sports and technology driven, but a little bit of everything we discuss. So if you happen to be interested, look up that last podcast of Raymond and Sons. Our second episode was the chicken debate between checking out Popeyes versus Chick-fil-A versus Wendy's. So I think that would be a great first podcast for the MVP fans to listen to just to get a taste. It's a little different than what we do here, but it's still good quality fun. And my main man, my main man Rod is definitely bringing it strong. So that's one thing that I wanted to tell the group. And the second thing is that we came back from a trip in Orlando. We got a chance to see Christopher and the fam. We ended up staying at their house. We took Ophelia over to SeaWorld, and she was loving it. We It was so awesome because she started riding on the little kids' rides, so we were riding on those together, which was a lot of fun. She had a chance to hang out with Elmo, and she wasn't afraid of that, so she's definitely grown with that. And the Christopher and I, we also got a chance to ride some roller coasters. So the roller coasters there are different. Like one of the roller coasters, I think it's called Monta or something like that. And it's like you're flying where they pretty much you start by sitting and then they inverts you so that you are parallel to the ground and then you're shooting up and shooting down. So definitely those two rides were pretty good. It's been a long time since I've been on a ride other than kid rides. So we will actually be going up next weekend again just to hang out with Christopher, hang out with the fam, because we've got the pass where we bought an actual ticket and all the subsequent visits to the theme park are free. We just have to pay for parking. So we definitely want to capitalize on that by the end of the year because that's when the pass expires. So that now is, is this, is this a, a blast from the past from you? Because I remember, you know, you used to do residency in Orlando at well, one point. 
This is different because SeaWorld, I had never gone to SeaWorld until this year. And actually, the only reason why we ended up going there is Leah was looking online and she saw this discount for SeaWorld because we were trying to find some different stuff for Ophelia because Disney, don't get me wrong, is great, but it's packed. You, mm. It takes a long time to go from the car to actually getting to where you need to get to. Long days, long hours, long rides. Whereas SeaWorld, it's so nice because it's not as packed. The lines aren't as long. Like we had a, the one run that I was telling you about. It said a 45-minute wait. But when we were in there, it must have not been more than 10, 15 minutes. And then the other roller coaster ride, we, the time it took for us to get from the beginning to the line to sit was the wait time. So those are some good things that you probably don't see in some of your bigger theme parks. And I thought that it was going to be packed because it was Veterans Day weekend, but it was pretty good. So I think checking out the smaller established places is nice because you get to actually enjoy them a little bit more than the big places. And the prices, again, are much, much cheaper. So definitely think it's pretty good. And I think this time next year when that pass opens up again, it's usually after the summer, then we're going to capitalize on it again. Cool, man. Sounds like you had a lot of fun. Yeah. So let's. is it time for us to do the story? I think it is. Let's do this. All right. So I figured we would do just to help you warm up. I'll start reading the first part of the story. We'll each follow along. And then once I stop, then you can start. And then we can just see where the conversations go from there. How does that sound? Sounds like a plan. All right. So this article is written from the periodical called The Street. And the name of the article is How to Invest Large Sums of Money. Now, this is straight off the press. This article was written by Brian O'Connell on November 12th, which is today at 1.39 p.m. So literally straight off the press. The, again, title is How to Invest Large Sums of Money. And the comment is resisting the temptation to spend a lump sum of money is hard. Investing the cash is rewarding. Here's the thing about being on the receiving end of a lump sum of money. For starters, it's a financial shot in the arm that leaves you better off. Secondly, it comes with a unique set of issues, especially including what to do with your money. The temptation may be to spend it or spend a large chunk of it, but that's missing a grand opportunity to take a pile of money, turning it into a bigger pile of money by investing the cash. After all, there's no law that says you have to take the lump sum of cash from an inheritance, a bonus at work, an insurance legal settlement, or even a lottery check and spend it on a three-week three tour on the Orient or on a new Harley-Davidson. By going to the investment route, however, you're making passive income, i.e. money you've earned, you've already earned, accumulate, and work for you. What's the best way to invest lump sums of money in a financial market? Here's a blueprint you won't like as much as the new motorcycle, but will treat you better in the long run. First step in making the correct call on investing your lump sum payment is to know what the terms means. A lump sum payment is a payment that is made one time and one time only. Unlike periodic or installment payments, a lump sum payment is the ultimate cash payment. Once the payment is made, that's it. No more money is forthcoming until you are fortunate enough to cash in on another lump sum payment if that ever occurs again. The most common forms of lump sum payments include the following scenarios. So either you've inherited money, you sell your business, you get a bonus at work, you get a pension, you get a legal or a insurance claim. So those are pretty much the biggest common ways that you end up getting that lump sum. So what the article says 
is the best way you decide on how to invest your lump sum payment. And it can be more than one investment is to address your immediate financial needs first, then work your way up from there. While you should always discuss what to do with a lump sum payment with a trusted financial advisor, these five investing ideas could be a priority for you. So Marvin, why don't you tell us a little bit about the five different investment ideas and we'll go from there. All right. So some other ideas um, such as paying off any interest earning debt first. You know, you want to go ahead and think of it in the context of the debt that you're accruing. If you start paying that off, it's essentially an investment in your own financial future. Um, another way to do that uh, is investing the bulk of your payment in a company or retirement fund, followed by stashing your cash in a health savings account, which I know um, this is near and dear to your heart, uh, Junior. And I'm sure in the future episodes, we can talk about that some. Uh, you can always invest in an emergency fund. You can invest in a mutual fund or an exchange trader fund. So those are the ETFs, as well as, uh, you know, just finding different combinations of all those uh, to path out a course that you feel comfortable with when it comes to investing your, your financial uh, situation. Okay, very cool, very cool. So what I think we can do is we can break down each of those five different recommendations. And again, as a disclaimer to everybody, just as a reminder, this Marston Brothers podcast, the whole purpose of this is for your viewing and entertainment purposes. Any of the information that we will be discussing on this podcast, again, is just for entertainment. It should not be taken as actual financial advice. So with that being said, number one is paying off any interest earning debt. So examples of these debts are going to be maybe you have a house, maybe you've got a student loan that you're paying off, maybe you have a payment for a car. So the thought process behind this is each of these large high debts, there is going to be interest that accrues. And as we know with this interest, this interest has to be paid throughout the loan, uh, throughout the entire part of the loan that you have. Now, the thought process that a lot of people take a look at on whether or not we want to pay off the debt, where you're making your money is you're making your money off of preventing having to pay the interest. So for instance, if you have an interest rate on a house, the house is maybe, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. You have, let's say 7% interest of the house. If you're able to pay off that house, you are saving 7% compounding every year for the life of the loan for the house. So you would end up making money a couple of ways. One is going to be you're not paying the interest on that loan. So that's money you get to keep. And then two, with that money that you're keeping, you may be able to use that money for something else. So when we're looking at paying off any high interest earning debt, that's what they're talking about. And the other thing, too, is instead of having to pay that money, you keep it for yourself, too. So it's almost an additive thing. So you don't have to pay $500 a month. So that's $500 less that you're having to take out of your check. And now you have that $500 and you can do something else with that. So that's usually the easiest. And that's probably the first thing that most people take a look at. And I think the reason why people like this is also from a financial perspective is good. But I think from an emotional perspective, having that large 
loan or that large payment that you've had to have and all of a sudden you don't have it anymore, I think that's a great feeling that you have because you feel like you can do more and that you're just not weighed down on having that big old loan behind the scenes in the back of your head. What are your thoughts on that, Marvin? So, yeah, I think the whole concept of like the the debt snowball, like what you're uh, amounting to is something that not only has um, a huge psychological component to it, it also uh, sets the tone when it comes to the training wheels and then also just gets you in the right direction. So if you're able to um, start saving money and then using that money to pay off the, uh, the high interest debt first, uh, that will also train you so that if you and when you pay off that high interest um, uh, that debt then you'll be able to continue using that same money once that debt is paid off and you can use that to invest and so now now that you've done that you've felt what it feels like to um, put away that amount of money each month you can start using that to grow your money even faster by linking it to some sort of um, investment vehicle. Cool, cool, cool. So why don't you talk about the second wave, Marvin, and tell us your thoughts on this. All right. So the second wave is putting your money into some sort of 401k. So 401k is a uh, it's an investment vehicle that is provided by your employer. And a lot of employers have some sort of match that's also um, uh, in, in regards to that 401k. So if you're employer has a 401k and it also has a match it would behoove you not to at least put the 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 money to take advantage of that match the match is essentially um free money that your employer will match uh, the amount of money that you put in monthly or yearly into that 401k and the thing about the 401k is it is a retirement vehicle so the money that you're putting in at the time, uh, it's tax advantaged, meaning you're putting in pre-tax dollars into that 401k, which will essentially kind of allow you to um, grow that fund faster than having put in post-tax um, dollars. Uh, the thing that you have to think about is just sticking to it. Like if you can create a plan such that you're putting in the money yearly or even monthly, and if you stick to that over time, you'll be able to capitalize on that compound uh, effect, which is really to me where the crux, where the, uh, the ability to grow your funds is all about because that compound uh, component is utilizing time and time is that one resource that you can't ever get back but if you can link that to your money then you are really really uh, being aggressive in a good way to grow your portfolio in a positive direction i think that's a really really good way to summarize that i think in addition to the tax advantage piece of not being taxed on the money until you have to take it out the other great thing about investing in your 401 and also, like you said before, which is the number one thing was the match that you're getting is the fact that when you are contributing to your 401k for the pre-tax dollars, you also 
decrease what your taxable income is. So for instance, let's say you make $100,000 in a year and you don't put that money into a 401k, then the government is going to tax you at the $100,000 rate. But if you max out your 401k with pre-tax dollars, instead of being taxed at $100,000, you're going to be taxed at $81,000 because that money is being taken off what we call above the line deduction. So what that ends up being is your taxes are based off of what your adjusted gross income is. Your adjusted gross income is going to be monies after you take out any of your pre-tax monies and any of the credits that you may have. Once you get to that point, you are at your adjusted gross income and your adjusted gross income is what is used to be able to determine how much you owe in taxes. So being able to contribute as much money as you can pre-tax takes away from your tax burden. So that's another way that you get a tax savings. So you get the tax savings from that. And then the whole thought process of the 401k is that you will get taxed when you end up taking the money out when you retire. The thought process is for most people is that they are going to be in a higher tax bracket while they're working and they're making money. And when they retire, since they won't be having that same income, the thought pro generally the thought process is you will be in a lower tax bracket. So when you take the money out, instead of being in the high tax bracket, you might be in the low tax bracket. So for instance, this is a hundred thousand dollar example. So you make a hundred thousand dollars, you get taxed at that amount. And then when you retire, let's say you plan on living off of $30,000 a year. So instead of being taxed at $100,000, you're being taxed off of whatever monies you're pulling out from the 401k. So if you're only going to be taking out twenty dollars or $30,000 in a year, you're only being taxed at $30,000. So that's another advantage of the, the 401k is that if you set it up correctly, if you're making less at retirement than what you are making when you are in a workforce, then you will pay less taxes overall. So that's the other piece that we wanted to throw out when we're talking about investing in a 401k. Now, there is something that's called the Roth 401k. And in that, what you're doing is you're using after-tax money and you're funding that portion of it. So with the Roth 401k, anything that's Roth is after-tax. So the money that you have already received out of your paycheck, that's money that's been taxed. So with that money, you put that into the account and since the money has been taxed once already, it can't be taxed again. So what that means is that money, once you put it into that account, then it'll grow and grow and grow. And when you take it out, you don't have to pay taxes on it because you pay taxes initially and then you put the money in. So that's another way that people are taking a look at that with regards to investing in the retirement plan. So you're going to be taxed either in the beginning or the end. And based off of what your financial picture looks like, will determine whether a 401k works or a general IRA, which is an individual retirement fund, or you would look at doing it after the fact. And that is where you would need to talk to your tax consultant. All right. Good stuff. So shall we look at number three, stashing cash in a health savings account? Let's do this. Let's do this. All right. So Marston Brothers, you know, we've actually been doing research on the health savings account because for most people, this is the enrollment period for your benefits. So health savings accounts are different types of vehicles that you can use to be able to save money for your health. 
Now, if you are enrolled in a high deductible health care plan, then you have an opportunity to be able to contribute monies into a health savings account. Now, there's a minimum and maximum on how much you're able to contribute a year. And the caveat to this is that this health savings account is actually a triple tax savings. So the triple tax savings is going to be any money that you put into the account, you are able to contribute pre-tax dollars. So that's one thing. The money grows tax-free. And then if you use the money towards any health savings particular reasons, then you don't get taxed when you take the money out and you pay for it. So when you look at all the different vehicles of investing in money, the health savings account is the one vehicle where if you do it right, you don't pay any taxes whatsoever on the money that you're making, on the money that you're getting. And also, after the age of 65, if you don't need to use any of the money in the health savings account, that will be treated very similar to a 401k where you will be taxed off of whatever money you take out in based off of whatever tax bracket that you're in. So this is different than, again, your normal everyday brokerage account because you have to you put the money in after it's taxed and then you put that money in. With the health savings account, it never touches any of that stuff at all. So that is one way that if you qualify for the high deductible savings plan. Now, every year the IRS has different numbers and based off of the numbers, it's based off of what is the deductible on your health care plan. So if your deductible is higher than what it's stated on the healthcare.gov website, then you may be able to contribute to an HSA. But then also your out-of-pocket maximum has to be a certain dollar amount too. If you're able to abide by those two numbers, then you have the option of being able to contribute to the health savings account. And I believe for the health savings account, there's probably around $7,000 a year if you are in a family. If you're not in a family, it's just you. I believe it's $3,500 a year that you can contribute. And once you contribute to that, then at any point, you can take money out if it qualifies as a health savings reason or if you or medical reason or if you wait until you're 65 then you just get taxed on it but if you take it out beforehand then there is a larger penalty for that so it's a great game saver for individuals who are looking for that special bridge account from when you retire and when medicare pops in there is a period of time where you have to think of well how do i want to take care of myself so you can either self-pay you can buy insurance, you know, through the Affordable Care Act, or you can use your health savings account to be that bridge amount until you have your retirement. So that I thought was a pretty good look when it comes to health savings accounts. Agreed. Agreed. And well stated. Well stated. I think we um, we should have potentially another episode, you know, delving in some more to health savings accounts in the future, because I think this is something that um, a great deal of people could really benefit from. And I, I really do like uh, a lot of the facets that are involved with the health savings account. I think it's a great idea. It's something that I would like to do um, when it's all said and done. Yeah. All right. Bring us to number four, my man. All right. So number four, let's, uh, invest in an emergency fund 
And, you know, the thing about the emergency fund is it's kind of self-explanatory. You know, it's a fund that you are saving for emergencies. Um, you know, nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody's able to specifically predict when an emergency will come through. However, uh, the individuals who prepare for this, and we all know that an emergency will come at some point in our life. If you prepare for it and if you have cash um, stashed away, then that's one less thing that you have to worry about while you're going through that difficult time. Um, to me, I would assume that one of the worst things would be going through whatever emergency you go through, but then having to figure out how am I going to fund my lifestyle? How am I going to fund my family's life? How am I going to be able to make ends meet? And so this is something that you can account for now and you can prepare for whenever this emergency comes through. And, you know, one of the examples is, you know, figuring out what your lifestyle is like and then figuring out how much money you need to survive each month. Once you get that number, let's go ahead and stretch that to six months. Um, a good healthy emergency fund will be that uh, a fund that has about six months, to me at least, six months of funds such that if an emergency came through, you could survive off of that, keep the same lifestyle that you have um, so that if you lose a job or something, um, you'll have enough time to bounce back, find a new job and, and keep the ball rolling. Yeah, I think with the emergency fund, it's so for instance, when stuff comes up, are you able to take care of it without being late on things? So I can speak from personal experiences. So, you know, for me, I am one that I'm trying to hold off on having to pay for a new car and buy a new car. For me, you know, what I drive around is a 2010 I'm sorry, 2008 Honda Civic, and it is 11 years old. It is paid off, and for me, it's just great not having to pay a car payment, 300 400 500 600 700 800 dollars a month. I get to keep that in my pocket because I have a car that is running functioning well. It's a Honda. It's got about 100, almost 190,000 miles, and for me, it's just nice to know that I'm not having to put money into paying a car. Now, with that, though, having an older car, you are going to get into the point where things may have to come up. So for me, within the last month and a half, you know, things that have come out is the AC stopped working, of course, during summertime, of course. So that was something that I had to take care of. For me, the dealership wanted like $2,000, $3,000. I was able to find somebody that I knew, a family friend of a friend, who was able to repair, give me a new AC for 600 bucks. I also needed to get new tires. So the new tires, you know, it's pretty much $100 a tire, no matter what you do. They'll either get you on the cost of the tire. They'll get you on having to do installations or actually aligning it. So no matter what, essentially for my car, it was a hundred dollars a tire. So between those two months, it was about a thousand dollars that I had to pay. Now, if I didn't have a fund to pay for that, I would have had to consider saving and waiting and waiting and waiting until I had enough money to be saved up or, I would have to find another means of transportation until I came up with that money. Now, for me, 
I was fortunate that I do have an emergency fund. And instead of that being an emergency for me, it was more of an inconvenience. And even not even an inconvenience, it's just, well, this is just normal maintenance. So for me, that was perfect. I didn't have to worry about charging it on a credit card and having 23% interest piling up, you know, month after month after month. So that $1,000 turns into, you know, $8,000 by the end of the year if I just do minimum payments. So those are the, just the nice flexibility you have when you have that emergency fund is it's not an emergency anymore. It's just a, eh, I got to take care of it. But once took care of it, I didn't even think less about it. So that's a perfect example of why and how an emergency fund can be a great asset to you because you just take care of it and you're done. Have you ever had to experience dipping into a fund to pay for things that you, you needed to do and it wasn't planned? I mean, uh, I'm going through that right now. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I have a um, I have a rental property now that's mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. and running. It's going, but you know, I had an emergency that came through. We got some pipe issues, and so now I have to dip into my emergency funds to correct that uh, that problem, which I'm fine because I have one. And you know, before sooner than later. We're going to get right back on track and I'll be able to recoup all the funds just through normal month-to-month um, -month payments. But I'm glad that I have that emergency fund so I'm not uh, stressing out. Uh, I know I can just take care of it and just keep the ball rolling. So, yeah, I definitely have experienced that. And I'm sure all of you listeners out there, you, you've had um, issues where you've needed an emergency fund um, throughout your life. And, you know, as we prepare to take the ample steps necessary uh, to get a good, healthy fund um, ready for us. When, an, when that emergency does come through, um, I think we'll all be grateful uh, that we'll, we'll be able to take care of it without uh, too much stress. So um, how about you go and uh, finish us off with number five? All right. So number five is going to be investing in a mutual fund or exchange traded fund ETF. Investing in funds, especially equity based mutual funds that historically appreciate over in the long haul is easier than investing in individual stocks. So essentially what this is saying is that you still can use your funds to be able to invest in actual mutual funds. So a mutual fund essentially is going to be a it's essentially a pot of different stocks that are together and you have different individuals who are mutually putting money into a big pot. And once you have that big pot, that big pot then purchases, you know, a family of stocks and bonds based off of whatever the equity that you're trying to purchase. And the thought process of that is to be able to invest pieces of stocks from different companies. And as that company grows, then that whole pot will grow. And when that whole pot grows, then you will be making money off of this, the actual stocks that are in there. For general individuals who are normal Joe Schmoes like you and I, it's if we want to invest in a stock like Google, it may be difficult to own a share of that stock because that costs a lot of money and it's you can't own that. But if you have somebody who is a fund manager who is 
collecting all of these funds together as a whole, everybody can own a piece of that. And when you're looking at the stock market, the number that people throw if you're just doing the general stock market. So the stock market, again, is going to be all the different stocks that are in the world, essentially. And if you follow how stocks have done, stocks generally go higher versus then lower in the last few years. There is a mutual, I'm sorry, there is an index fund that is called the Standard & Poor's 500, which essentially is the top 500 companies in the United States. And in that S&P 500, the rates or the return on investment that you tend to have on a year-to-year basis of growth tends to be around 9-10%. So the thought process is you put money into this S&P 500 stock. Every year it averages 10%. So that means some years is higher, some years is lower, but it averages out in 10 years. And the rule is is that the rule 72 is if you divide 72 divided by the interest rate, that number will tell you how long it'll take for that to double. So 72 divided by 7, I'm sorry, 72 divided by 10 is 7.2. So let's say initially I had $100 into the account, in seven years the amount will be up to $200. So when you're looking at these funds, that is a passive way of being able to make money and it's better than just having that money just sitting around so and it's also an easy way to do it too because instead of having to do research as far as building a company from scratch you can just put your money in and let the market take care of itself so it's a easy way for you to own pieces of the largest most influential companies in the world and i think with that that gives a great opportunity for you to be able to have nice passive funds. And with these passive funds, then you will hopefully make money in the long term. So that's the story on that. What do you say, Marvin? I'm saying I love that breakdown that you gave. And, you know, there is a line that I do want to read. So I know you talked about the S&P as um, an index fund. And there's another index fund, um, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So did you know, back in 1950, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was trading at just short of 200 points. Get this. Today, it trades over. It trades at over 27,700 points. So just like what you're saying, if you put your money in this index fund and you just leave it alone, um, the amount of times that it doubles on itself uh, is endless. And that's just showing the concept of compounding interest, which is very powerful. And a lot of people say that it's the time uh, component of that compounding interest that really does the, the big ticket um, one-two punch. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, everything what you're saying. And, um, you know, that's another reason why uh, investing is extremely important, especially when you're dealing with uh, retirement. Because, you know, uh, we're, we're millennials, and I don't know what you think, but I'm not 100% sure if if the money that I'm storing away um, through um, the, the government... Social Security, I don't know if that's going to be enough to sustain my lifestyle. 
So I'm actively uh, doing things in order to make sure that I will be able to sustain a lifestyle that I feel is comfortable when I retire. I, I think that's the name of the game. And also, in addition to that, when you retire, you know, if you work and you're smart about it in the beginning and you do use the compounding interest and you use the time, you may be able to retire a little earlier just because you started investing early. There's lots of articles and studies that show you know, the monies that you are saving in your 20s and 30s that you're investing are a lot more powerful than the monies that you're investing in your 50s and 60s. And because of that, uh, the, the reason of that is the rule of 72 that we've just shared, you've got more time for that money to double than double than double. I mean, if you think about it, 100 goes to $200, 200 goes to $400, 400 goes to $800, 800 goes to 16, 16 to 32, and so forth and so on. But the only way that your money has time to double like that is if you start it early enough and you have a good amount that you start with. And then after that, it's almost like gravity when you're falling. You jump out of the plane, gravity does its work, and it makes the trip down you know, a lot easier than having to forcefully run down. So that's why you have to take a look at investing money. And if you do it right, then hopefully the latter years of your life, instead of having to work and work and work, you know, you kind of get a chance to enjoy the fruits of your labor, if that's what you want to do. Again, there's nothing wrong with working, but you want to be able to work on your terms, not because you have to. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right, man. So it's been about 40 minutes. So, you know, what do we want our MVP crew to leave with with regards to the article that we discussed today, Marvin? What are your take home points? To me, the take home point is this. Uh, it's very important to start saving an aspect of the money that you're making now, because uh, the sooner you do it, the more compounding that's go that goes on your side to help grow that money a lot faster. So if you can get that delayed gratification, it really will go a long way. I think that's good. And then also for a lot of people, so making lumps of money, again, we talked about it earlier today. There's lots of different ways to get the lump sums of money. Probably the most common way that most people get a lump sum of money is probably their tax returns that they get at the end of their year. So a lot of times for tax returns, what people don't realize is that this money you've given to the government and they essentially have had a a tax-free loan because you've given it to them because too much was taken out of your account. And then usually what people end up doing is they just use end up using that money, which, you know, money is to be used, don't get me wrong. But, you know, the best way to use that money is you get that money back. And with that money, you make money somehow. So if you're able to put that money away in the savings, if you're able to go in and invest that money into your 401k, so now you're getting money that is kind of free, and then you put that money into the investments so that that money makes money, that is probably one of the easiest things that you can do. But also, you know, paying off your stuff, you know, very early using the snowball method, just finding stuff so that your money can make money for you versus using that money all of it, where now you've got nothing to show for it. So I, I think those are some of the things that we can think about, because then if you do that now, then you'll get a lot more later. 
So Marvin, what's going on for you with, for the rest of the week and the weekend? What do you got going on? We're podcasting a little earlier than normal today. We're normally on a Thursday, but talk us through what's going on for the rest of your week. Well, for me, um, here's a, a life hack that I, you know, I'm just enamored by right now. Go to your local library and start checking out electronic books. Oh my goodness. Uh, when you listen to electronic books on your social media, not social media, but on your cell phones, it allows you to just listen into really cool things, whatever it is that you desire. But the best part of it is that you're able to multitask and do other things, and you can listen to good content that will help promote you as a human being. So right now, uh, of all things, I'm listening to um, Economics 101, I figured when you're in college, if you were to minor in a course, uh, that essentially is maybe four or five courses. Four or five classes will give you a minor. And so I'm thinking maybe four or five books will give me a minor. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, I think that's great. And I think for me, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of this. You know, you and I, Christopher, we've probably been really seriously talking about finances for maybe, I would say maybe like the last three years, I would say, two, three years. I think we all, you know, started listening to podcasts. We exchanged podcasts with each other. And for me, the biggest hack for me has been listening to podcasts on my way to work and coming back from work. You know, I used to be one that listened to sports radio. And then before sports radio, I would listen to just your general everyday music that is playing on on your radio. But I figure if I can use the you know, for me, it's about 30, 45 minutes drive, an hour and a half to two hours every day I'm in the car. I can learn some stuff five days a week. That's 10 hours a week. You multiply those 10 hours times a week, you know, 52 weeks a year, that's 520 hours. And if you think about it, yeah, that's think about how many you're taking. You're using three hours, you know, 15 hours of credit is what you were doing when you're at school. I mean, that's essentially that minor that you were looking about. So I think that's a huge hack, and I'm glad that that's something that you shared, and I'm hoping that our MVP crew can take away something from that. I think for me, what I'm doing is I'm trying to get to the end of the week because, like I said before, we're going to be going back up to Orlando. We're going to be taking another visit. We're going to be visiting Christopher again, and then after that, then we'll be visiting some other family friends up in Orlando. So it'll essentially be the same thing that we did last weekend, but we're actually going to make it a three-day weekend. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Anything else you want to share with the group before we sign out, Marvin? That's all I got for you. All right. Until so, next time. Till next time, I will see you. I'm hoping everything is well. MVP crew, thank you again for listening to another awesome episode of the Marston Brothers podcast. Please, 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 if you have a chance, share this podcast with a lot of your friends. You can hit us up on iTunes. You can hit us up over at podcast.com and YouTube. We also have that on YouTube. In addition to that, if you want to be able to communicate with us, you can send us an email at marstonbrothers at gmail.com. That's an awesome avenue to get feedback. And also feel free to leave comments because we read those comments and those comments definitely make this podcast run a lot smoother. So please make sure that you're sharing this podcast with your friends. Thank you again for all the support. And until next week, we are out of here. So have a great week, guys. Later. Thanks 
for listening to the Marston Brothers Podcast. And remember, do work and make a difference in somebody's life.